Father, we thank you for how you give us opportunity each and every week to come together and to, to encourage one another and to worship you together. Uh, we thank you for the way in which we have been able uh, to worship you so far, and we pray you'd continue to help us as we hear for a little bit from your word what you have to say to us. We pray that uh, you would make us true worshipers of yours, those who worship you in spirit and in truth, those who worship with all that we are, uh, giving our very lives, laying our bodies upon the altar as a living sacrifice, and worshiping truly. Um, not worshiping however we want, but worshiping how you want us to, Lord, because it's, it's for you our worship is, not for ourselves. So help us, Lord, as we study your word, grant us understanding, grant us faith to believe what we read. Um, and Lord, may you consecrate our lives ever more fully to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure how, how far we'll get uh, through what I have prepared today. Probably we'll get through, uh, partway through anyway, number one there. But we're looking at John chapter 1 and verse 14. We're just looking at one verse today and we'll, we'll finish it up next week. So take your Bibles and open up to John 1 and verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. As you can see from the table to my left, we are in the season of writing cards. And when you open a card, what do you expect to see there? You expect to see words, right? Words. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but what is the purpose of words? Why do we use words? The commentator William Hendrickson answers that question that I've never thought to ask. What's the purpose of a word? And this is what he says. A word serves two distinct purposes. A, it gives expression to the inner thought, the soul of the man, doing this even though no one else is present to hear what is said or to read what is thought. And B, it reveals his thought, hence the soul of the speaker, to others. So his, his explanation for the purpose of words is twofold. Purpose number one, it is self-expression. And we've all done that. We've all uh, been driving down the road. And even though there's nobody else in the car, we, we speak, we talk out loud. Um, we're, we're giving expression to what's going on inside of our heart and mind. Maybe expressing things we shouldn't be expressing about that person that cut us off at the intersection, but we're expressing in words what's inside. Or when you keep a journal or a diary, you don't intend for anybody to read that, but you're expressing what is going on in your heart and mind. Self-expression. The second is self-revelation. We use words to communicate to someone else, to reveal to someone else what's going on in our heart and mind. Hendrickson, after uh, writing what I just read to you, he follows it up with this. He says, Christ is the word of God in both respects. He expresses or reflects the mind of God. Also, he reveals God to man. 
So the word, Jesus, is God's ultimate self-expression and his ultimate self-revelation. How do you get to know someone? You get to know them by listening to their words, right? Or reading their words. How do you get to know God? It's the same way, right? And the best way to get to know him is to listen to the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Today and next week, we're going to get to know God by paying very close attention to his word, the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly as he's revealed in this one verse that we're looking at today. So we're just going to slowly walk through this verse. We're going to take it phrase by phrase. And the first phrase we look at is this, and the word became flesh, and the word became flesh. First thing we need to answer is, who is this word? Who is this word that John is talking about? Well, we're, we're introduced to this word in verses 1 through 5, and we learn some very important information about this word in verses 1 through 5. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 teach us three important things. Let me read those. Verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We learn at least three very important things here. The first thing we learn is that the word is eternal. John the first three words of verse 1 are in the beginning. What does that remind you of? Yeah, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And according to John here, who was already there in the beginning? Yeah, the word. The word. In the beginning, the word was already there. What does that tell you about the word? The word is what? Eternal, right? eternal. Before time began, the word was there, right? He was already there. The second thing we learn is that the word has been eternally with God. That's what he says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That tells you that the word is distinct from God, God the Father, that is. He's eternally with the Father, but he's distinct from the Father. The Word and the Father are not the same person. They are two different persons, two distinct persons, yet they have forever been with one another. And that is reaffirmed in verse 2, isn't it? Verse 2, John says, He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning, the Word was already there, and he was there with God. So they are eternally with each other. And the third important thing we learn is that this word, this word who is eternal, this word who was eternally with God, this word is also eternally God himself. That's what John says. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the word was with God. And in the beginning, the word was God. Now, how can he be with God and be God at the same time? Well, it is by sharing the nature of God. The Word shares the nature of God. What doctrine do we find here in John 1.1? The doctrine of what? The Trinity, right? The Trinity, that God is one. He's one God. 
and yet he eternally exists as what? Or as who? Three persons, right? And each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of those three persons fully and eternally possesses the divine nature. And yet each one possesses the divine nature in such a way that there are not three gods, there is only one God. And if you can't wrap your head around that, don't worry about it. Nobody has been able to since uh, the beginning of the church, right? But the scriptures drive us to confess that as true, even though we can't fully understand it. It's, it's, it's not something that should surprise us that the almighty, eternal, transcendent God is a little bit beyond what we can understand. That's an understatement, right? So that's the three very important things we learn in verses 1 to 2. The Word is eternal. The Word has eternally been with God, and the Word is eternally God himself. In verse 3, we learn something else. John says, All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. What do we learn there? We learn that this Word is responsible for all creation, for all creation. Uh, Take your Bible. Let's go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, and just run your eyes down through that chapter. What does God do before he creates. He creates several things across six days. What does he do each day before he creates? He speaks, right? He utters words. The first such utterance is in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God uttering his word precedes every act of creation that he does. Look back at John 1, 1, 3. All things came into being through the word, and apart from the word, nothing came into being that has come into being. And we see that demonstrated for us in John 1, don't we? John here opens up a whole new perspective of, John 1, of, excuse me, of Genesis 1, because now, with our New Testament glasses on, with the benefit of, of looking back after receiving all of this additional revelation from God, who do we see in Genesis 1? We see the Trinity, don't we? Verse 1 of Genesis 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Father is there. Verse 2, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. There's the Holy Spirit. And then verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. There we have the word of God himself. And it's interesting, as you read through the Old Testament, various times the word of God is, is personified. He, the word is spoken of as if he's a person. And we kind of saw that last week going through Galatians. Remember the scripture foresaw, the scripture preached beforehand the gospel to Abraham. 
Well, we see that in other places in the Old Testament. Let's go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33 and verse 6. That says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. The Trinity's there again. We have the word of the Lord and the breath or the spirit of his mouth. But the word there is active, powerful, making everything. Uh, Next, let's go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8. And here we see um, a little bit different language, but very similar to the word. Here we have wisdom. And wisdom is personified. Wisdom is spoken of as a person alongside God making everything. Proverbs 8, starting in verse 22. This is wisdom speaking. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress its command, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Wisdom there sounds an awful lot like a divine person, doesn't it? And then on your own time, look up how many times the Old Testament speaks in this way. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. We find in this just all these little glimpses, foreshadowings of the eternal second person of the Trinity, the Word, the Son of God himself. Back in John chapter 1, we learn something else in verse 4 through 5. We learn that in him, in the Word, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What do we learn about the Word here? We learn that the Word is the source of all life and light. But then when we get to verse 14, what do we see? That this Word, this Word who is eternal, this Word who was eternally with God, this Word uh, who has eternally been God, this Word who is the source of life and light itself, who created everything, this Word became flesh. This Word became flesh. If, if you'd never read the Gospel of John before and you just picked it up and began reading, when you got through the first five verses, you might not be able to say for sure what this word is. You might still be thinking this is some kind of abstract principle or power in the universe. But when we come to verse 14, we discover this word is a person. 
And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we find in verse 17 later, right? The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized. And John gives us the name of this word, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. This eternal and divine word took on human nature. He took on a human body. He took on a human soul. Now, when did this happen? When did the word become flesh? Well, we read about it in our scripture reading, right? Turn over to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, this is the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, letting her know that she is going to give birth to the Messiah despite not having ever known a man intimately. She's a virgin who will give birth. Nothing that, like that has ever happened before. Verse 31 of Luke 1, the angel Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. That's where the word became flesh, when Mary conceived in her womb. That was God, the word, becoming flesh. Now, how did this happen? Well, Gabriel gives us some more insight. Verse 35, he tells us how this is going to happen. Because that's what Mary wants to know. How is this going to happen, since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. The Word became flesh. Now, it's important to note that when the Word became flesh, He didn't stop being the Word. His identity didn't change. When the Word became flesh, He didn't cease to be what John said He was in verse 1. He was still the eternal Word. He was still the eternal Word with God. He was still the eternal God. That didn't change. And we know that because as John continues to describe this word to us in verse 14, it's still the word that's being described. It doesn't say the word became flesh, now he's somebody else, and now this someone else I'm describing to you. He's continuing to describe the word. Verse 14, the word became flesh. The word dwelt among us. We saw the word's glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is all still describing the Word. He does not lose his identity as the Word. And that is what John wants, to, wants you to keep in mind as you continue to read this gospel. As you continue on and you read about Jesus Christ and you read about his ministry and you read what he says and you read what he does and when you see him go to the cross and die and rise again, John wants you to always remember what he started out this gospel with, that this one that you see doing this, that is the eternal Word of God doing all of that. The Word became flesh. Now we're going to stop there, and we'll pick it up next time with He dwelt among us, okay? But that's as far as we'll get today. But when you are driving down the road, and you see a nativity scene set up in somebody's yard, or when you're going through somebody's house, and they've got a a little nativity set up here, and you see the baby lying in the manger, think about who that child is. That is the eternal word of God 
who was with God and who is God. He became flesh so that he could lay down his life for sinners and rise from the dead. And when you put your trust in Christ, you're not just putting your trust in some historical figure. You're putting your trust in the one who is God the Word, who came to reveal God to you, to communicate God to you, and to save you so that you could enter into a reconciled relationship with this God. That is who we're thinking of and meditating on in the Christmas season, the Word made flesh. Let's pray. Father, help us to think rightly about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not merely some good teacher, some historical figure. He is God Almighty made flesh. That is who he is. And so when he says, follow me, that is not just some mere man saying that. That is our maker saying that. And so when we consider Jesus, help, help us not to think of him as some some guy that we can choose to listen to or not listen to. No, he is our maker. He is the only one through whom we can know God at all because he is the word of God. In these last days, you have spoken to us in a son, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to listen to him. That's what you testified about your son during his ministry. You said, this is my beloved son. And you said to the disciples, listen to him. Help us, Lord, to listen to him. Help us to turn from our sins and put our faith in him alone to be our Savior and Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.